we're, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 tonight, so if you want to turn there with me, let me remind you while you're turning that the purpose of Ecclesiastes and the way that Ecclesiastes is written is from a negative point of view and from a point of view that is strictly earthly. You remember last week we talked about how frequently we see the phrase under the sun in the book of Ecclesiastes. So what he's saying is, is he's saying all these things, all these things that we're feeling, all of these emotions, all of these realities, they are in light of the fact that we're talking about life under the sun, life without Jesus, life without eternity in mind. Now, obviously, and as we go through the study, we'll, dis we'll discover that as you begin to add Jesus into the equation, as you begin to add salvation into the equation, as we begin to add eternal perspectives into the equation, then obviously these things that, that Solomon is writing uh, are, are, are not for those who are walking in relationship with the Lord. But it is, it is said in such a way that the Spirit of God can prompt us and move us to the realities of eternity. And so that, that's the purpose behind the book. And he does an excellent job of doing that. And tonight we're going to study it out and we're going to go through some things in chapter 2. So again, uh, this week I'm going, I'm going to stick with the HCSB. Uh, Bible, which is written by Holman. Uh, it's very closely akin to the ESV, and so if my words are a little bit different than yours, it's you know it's okay. It's a translation um, that is founded and grounded upon uh, the original scripts, and and it just says it in such a way that it's pretty easy. And I thought you know that Ecclesiastes is a very practical book in the sense that it deals with life then let's read it in such a way that we can relate to it. So uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Uh, again, Solomon's writing, and he said, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness, and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine, how to grasp folly, and my mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven, under the sun, during the few days of their lives. Now, let's stop there and let's, uh, let's take this apart just a little bit and let's uh, make a few comments. First of all, he said... And he's speaking to himself. He said, I said to myself, go ahead and I will test you with pleasure. Now, I want to point out that phrase, I will test you. Now, who do you think that he might be talking about here when he says, I will test you? He's, he's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm going to experience these things. So that my own character can be tested. So that I can know where I stand. Now as I was preparing for this, it dawned on me that 
early in Scripture, the men and women who lived without the full revelation of Scripture, they had to live their lives every day with this mentality of testing to see what the Spirit is saying and whether or not it is true, whether or not it is accurate, so that as the Spirit of God moved upon them to write Scripture, they knew that one day you and I would be reading that Scripture. And so they needed to be able to say with certainty that I have tested this, I've tried this, I've experienced this, and I can tell you this is the way it works uh, in the realm of the Spirit. Think about somebody who, like Job, for instance, who, uh, and you may not know this, but chronologically, uh, throughout history, Job is really one of the earliest writings uh, historically that we have. He lived very early on. And so here's a man who the scripture says was considered to be a righteous man of God in the eyes of God. And yet the enemy came, the devil came, and, and accused him before the father. And the father said, well, have you considered Job and how righteous that he is? And, 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 and uh, he, he will be faithful to me. And through this whole process, you know, in the book of Job, he lost his family, he lost his crops, he lost his, his animals, he lost all of these things. And then the next several chapters is this conversation that Job has, has with the Spirit of God and with those who, who, are, who are living among him. And so they are testing these theories of what they believe is truth according to the Word of God. But they don't really know whether it's accurate or whether it's true or not. The only way that they can know whether or not it's true is when you experience it, when you put it to the test. When you say, well, I, I believe it's true. When you believe something, that's faith. I believe that this is accurate. And so I'm going to test it and I'm going to see if it works. And then you get to the end of the book of Job and Job says something like this. He said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And what he's saying there is, is that I'd heard about this, but now I've experienced it for myself, and I can declare with, with certainty that this is the way that it is in my relationship with the Lord. So he lives this thing out. And so now we come to Ecclesiastes and Solomon is saying, I need to know what the truth is. I can't, I can't Google it. I, I can't go back and look uh, at some of the uh, other writings that, that might tell me about this. The only way that I can tell whether or not this is accurate or true is to test myself and see what kind of an effect that it's going to have on my life. So he says, go ahead, I will test you, and here's how I'm going to do it. He says, first of all, I'm going to test you with pleasure. I'm going to enjoy what is good. So he made up his mind that the way I'm going to live my life right now is that I'm going to, if it looks good to me, I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a shot. If I see something and it's intriguing to me, I'm going to enjoy that and see what kind of an effect that it has upon my life. I'm going to see whether or not it has any meaning 
spiritually and eternally or whether it has no meaning whatsoever. So he says, I'm going to begin with this thing of pleasure, and I'm going to enjoy what is good. And then he says, but. So obviously he's already tried it, and now he's going to give you a report. He says, but it turned out to be futile, or as we're saying, meaningless. He's saying, I enjoyed pleasures. Everything I saw with my eye that I thought was good, I decided I'm going to try it for the purpose of testing my character and to see whether or not it has any meaning spiritually at all or not. And he says, I tried it and I discovered that it is futile. It's meaningless. And then he begins to name it off. He said, I said about laughter. It is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? How many of you like to laugh? Do you, do you ever remember in your life, life laughing so hard that, I mean, tears came to your eyes? I mean, I, my family call them belly laughs. I mean, you just you throw yourself down and you're laughing so hard that you almost lose your breath and you can't hardly even stand it and, 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 you, and you start feeling like you're losing control of your bladder and all that kind of stuff and you're just, you're just laughing and tears come to your eyes and you're just, you're just going crazy. And Solomon said, while that's a good thing, it's meaningless under the sun. Now, we understand science tells us that laughing is actually good for you physically. It releases hormones in your body that causes you to feel better. And it, and it, and it feels good to laugh. It, it, it causes you to be healthy. Do you ever see anybody that they were constantly depressed? I mean, they were always in a bad mood. You know, those people are some of the most unhealthy people, not to mention that they're no fun being around. Isn't that true? People who laugh, they tend to be healthy. They, they tend to have energy. Uh, they, they tend to be fun to be with. And, and, and yet, Solomon says, I tried all that. I, there was a time in my life where I laughed about everything. There was a time in my life where I, I was just full of joy and, I, and, 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 and uh, comedy. And, and it was funny to me. And I laughed. And he said, but in the realm of eternity... It doesn't matter how much you laugh here on the face of the earth. It is meaningless when it comes to eternity. So see, he says, I tried it and I discovered that it is madness and it really doesn't accomplish anything. Verse 3, he said, I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. Now think about that for a minute. He said, I sat around and I thought about with my mind, how can I use wine and folly in a way that it will add to my life? How can I do that? He's sitting around thinking about different ways to use wine and, and I guess to just to get drunk. He's sitting around thinking about, now how can I do this? You know, what if, I, what if I drink this amount, or what if I drink that amount, or what if? And, and that word folly there means 
carelessness. In other words, so he is he's connecting the use of wine with this attitude of carelessness. In other words, he said, there was a time when I just drank without any caution whatsoever. I threw caution to the wind. And I took the wine and drank to myself so that it would, in, in just in a very, in, in a very carefree way. In a way, it's, you know, it's kind of like my generation, everything, it was, it was all about smoking pot. Now, I know you guys, and you never did anything like that. And uh, who was it? Bill Clinton said he had tried it, but he didn't inhale. Who was it? I, I don't know. I, every time I tried it, I inhaled. I'm just telling you. But thank God the Lord delivered me from that, and I don't want to worry about that anymore. But my generation, that's kind of like it. Well, that's, that was the drug of choice, if you will. That was the thing. And what he's saying is, is that all of these things that we can just carelessly add to our life for the sake of, uh, of, of, of having this, this mentality of, uh, of folly, he said it, it carries no meaning with it whatsoever. And isn't it true? Haven't you found that those people who abuse different types of drugs and alcohol and things of that nature, they do it many times to cover problems in their life and difficulties in their lives. But when they come off of the drunk and they're sober again, guess what? The problem is still there. And so they, they discover that it doesn't matter how much I drink it doesn't matter how careless I am with my life. When, when the moment passes, then it still is meaningless. It, it helps in no way whatsoever. And he said, my, my mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Let me, I, let me tell you what I discovered in my study of this. Listen to this. I let my body enjoy life with wine, and notice it says, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Now, the scholars of Scripture think that there's two possibilities here. I'll let you choose because I'm not sure which one it is. But they said, first of all, they think that there could be a possibility that Solomon was a connoisseur of wine, and that he tasted all these various types of wine made from different types of grapes and different types of ingredients because he makes a statement. He said, I had my mind. So their theory is, is that he was not getting drunk on the wine, but he was tasting all of these various types of of drink and had become a connoisseur of wine because of his constant tasting of the various types of wine, yet he kept his mind. Now, the flip side of that is that there's a group of scholars who say, no, that's not it at all. Because the usage of the terms uh, that, that folly, which means carelessness, lack of caution, means that while he was in his mind, he made the decision that I'm going to consume all of this, this wine and I'm, I don't care if it makes me drunk. I don't care if it makes me feel stupid. I don't care if it makes me make choices that I shouldn't make 
But I made the decision to do this while I had my mind and can do so. And so he was choosing. So it's interesting to me that they think that there was one of two scenarios that's going on here with Solomon. All we know really is the fact that after it was all said and done, whether he was pleasure drinking as a connoisseur or whether he was without caution drinking so that he could get drunk and create uh, chaos in his life, either way, it comes back to the reality that he says it was meaningless. It, it was just absolutely meaningless in the, in the sense that it added no value to my life under the sun. None whatsoever. So then we move on, verse 4. He says, I increased my achievements. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my household. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, meaningless, and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now let's stop there and let's, let's break this down a little bit. Notice that first comment. He said, I increased my achievements. Now, the, the Hebrew language here is describing a scenario whereby he created a persona that allowed him to be very popular among the people. He was well known. Uh, he, he would be what we would call a star, a celebrity. His achievements were such that people would walk around town and they would say, hey, did you hear what Solomon did? Did you hear about Solomon? Did you hear about how much Solomon has? Did you hear about what Solomon built over here? Did you hear about the irrigation uh, system that that Solomon just put in over here. Did, did you hear Solomon? Did you see Solomon? Did you know Solomon? He took another wife. He took another uh, uh, concubine. He, he did this. He did that. He was well known. I mean, he, 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 everybody knew who Solomon was, and it did not come by accident. It was a planned strategy by Solomon to bring attention to himself. And, and, and that's, the, that's the way it's worded here in the Hebrew. He said, I increased, I increased my achievements. I lived in such a way that everybody 
knew who I was. And it was meaningless. He said, I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. Do you see the word myself in there a lot? There's this selfishness. What he did was for himself. What he was doing was to build up this persona. It was to build up this celebrity status so that everyone would know who he is in our world today. We have movie stars that do that all the time. We have singers and, and, uh, and artists that do that all the time. Uh, they dress in certain ways so that uh, when they are seen, everybody knows. There, there's this singer right now. I don't know who it is. I've never listened to any of the music. Honestly, don't know if it's a male or a female. Uh, honestly, but they, they wear this wig, uh, and it's black on one side and white on the other, and, and it comes down about shoulder length, and, and it comes to here. You can't see their eyes, can't see their nose. Anybody ever seen that person on TV? Any, several of you have. You must be the MTV generation. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a clue who it is, but why would anyone do something like that? You put this thing on, and you can't see. I mean, you can't, and nobody knows who you are and all that kind of stuff. You know why they do it? Because it's different than anyone else. It, it buys them celebrity status. And, and, you know, I remember a few years back, it, it was not a cool thing to be gay in America. And now so many people are coming out. And it's a cool thing. In many instances, it causes them to gain celebrity status. Here a couple of years back, uh, uh, Bruce Jenner, you know the story, uh, a great Olympian. I mean, you can't take that away from him. He trained and, and he got himself ready and he, and he, he won a lot of medals. And, and, and he was on Wheaties boxes. And then a couple of years back, he decided he wanted to be a woman. And so he had all the sex changes done and all that. And there are reports, reputable, reputable reports that are coming out now that saying that he regretted having taken that decision and would like to go back to being a man. I have news for him. He never stopped being a man. I don't care how many sur surgeries he had. But it's interesting to me that after he made this decision, his celebrity went sky high. It got him press. It, it got him the, uh, the, the, in the eyes of the, of the reporters. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hard and, and cold and all that. I'm just saying that there are things that sometimes we do that will bring attention to us. And, and we have to be careful of that. And that, that rubs over into the church. I mean, there, uh, we, I remember an evangelist from... Oh, this is going on the internet. I don't know if I should say this or not. I, there's a particular, <laughs> a particular guy. I love him, but it, it, they call him Jumpin' John. I won't give his last name. There you go. That, that'll work. Call him Jumpin' John, and it's because he was known for jumping the whole time he preached. He'd, just, he'd start preaching and just start jumping. I mean, he'd just jump and jump and jump. Did you ever see those little, little uh, whatever, I don't even know, little jelly beans or whatever they were? What are the name of those things? Are you... What are they? There you go. That's not politically correct, by the way. 
you put the things down on the table and they just jump all it. That, that was him. And he got known for that. Now, in fairness, he was a very sincere in, individual. He wasn't trying to create a persona, but it came with that, with that little tick that, that was involved in his presentation. And so we have to be careful, even in the church, that we're not drawing so much attention to ourselves, that we're not giving the attention to God and the glory to God, but it's about us and it's about our ministry and about our church and about what we do. And so, now, let me read on. He, he says here in verse 5, he said, I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. Now, let me stop. The scholars believe that Solomon had heard so many stories in his lifetime about the Garden of Eden and how beautiful it was that he was attempting to recreate that paradise that he'd heard about. And so he, he, he plants all these uh, orchards and all, uh, all these trees, and it says fruit trees of all different kinds. There were rivers that he made so that they would flow and, and allow those trees. And, and the implication is, is that Solomon wondered, if I work hard enough, and if I try hard enough, can I recreate something that I've heard about all my life? This paradise, this garden that God created, can I duplicate what God created in the beginning? And there, there, there's a lot of... Uh, Hebrew that, that, that points to the fact that that may very well have been what he was trying to do and what he was trying to accomplish. You know, again, in the church, sometimes we try to recreate what the church looked like 10 years ago or 25 years ago. If we could just somehow get back to that day, if we could just somehow get back to that way, if we could just somehow do this again and somehow go there again, and, 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 and we get so focused on what was and can we recreate that when what God wants us to do is, is, is grow from that and maintain the, the history of that and the growth and the strength that came to us through that. But then to focus on the future and say, God, I will go where I want you to go. It would be meaningless if, if we created this church in Louisville in 2016 that looked like a church in, in 1955. It would bring a few people in here. But in the long run, if we're not doing what God calls, has called us to do, then it, it is meaningless under the sun. And so he talks, about, he talks about that. And then let's go on. He said, I acquired male and female servants, had slaves who were born in my house. You, you know, as bad as slavery is and as much as we condemn it today, and we rightfully should, in those days it was a status to have slaves and then, and then also to have slaves that, were born into your household. And so in his day, it was something that he would brag about. Now today, no one would brag about that because we have come to the place in America today where we know that that was a 
a terrible, terrible thing. But in his day, it, it was common for him uh, to say something like that. He said, I also own many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I amassed silver, gold for myself, treasures of kings. I gathered male and female singers for myself, many concubines, and the delights of men. Now, there's a, there, there's a lot of uh, disagreement on this passage of Scripture among scholars. Because here, it talks about concubines that would delight not just men, but mankind, all of men. But here it's translated, and, and in, many, in many translations, it is, it, is, uh, it, it is interpreted as concubines, but in some of the original languages and scripts, it was, it was described as musical instruments. And so the scholars are at odds as to whether or not he's saying here in this. Now, we know he had 700 wives. History tells us that. We also know that he had 300 concubines. And so history tells us that. I can't even wrap my mind around that. No wonder he said meaningless. I wouldn't even know where to start. You know what I'm saying? But we don't, we don't know uh, about, I mean, we know that history says 700 wives, 300 concubines, but here there's disagreement as to whether or not he's talking about obtaining concubines or the Hebrew word could also mean musical instruments. Most scholars think that it is a reference to musical instruments and not concubines. So I don't know if that makes you feel better or not, but that, that's information you may not have had. So then verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me. My wisdom also remained with me. That's an important thing because here he is living this life. And what he is saying here is, is that I have not gone crazy. I'm not living this life because I've lost my mind. My wisdom remained with me. And when my mom and dad advanced in years, my dad... His mind was as sharp as a tack until the day he died. I mean, he, he knew what was going on. He, he kept his mind. My mom obviously did not. I, I saw something I wrote, you know, back. I said, you know, it's going to be a bad day when you get up and come to the kitchen and your mother has eaten a K-cup. She, you know, the little Keurig cups that you put in the coffee machine? She thought it was yogurt, I guess, or jello, and peeled it back and ate the coffee. And I, she, she, uh, she obviously did not have her wisdom with her. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, he said, don't feel sorry for me and think that I had gone crazy and lost my mind. I, I wasn't crazy. I didn't lose my mind. I was doing these things because I wanted to test and see if these things had meaning. So he said, my, my wisdom remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Look, look at verse 10. He said, I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for my struggle. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I enjoyed 
I enjoyed my conflict. I enjoyed my struggles. Did you ever know anybody that it seemed like that they had more fun when they were going through difficulty than when they had victory? I, 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 it seems like I know people that they just cannot stand being in victory, cannot stand being an overcomer because they, they are constantly in trouble. And what's worse, they're constantly starting the trouble themselves. I had several years ago, I, when I was in state work, there was this one pastor that, that he, just, he just went from church to church to church, from state to state to state, and it just seemed like that my ministry followed his ministry. And everywhere he went, I ended up having to go, and everywhere he went, I ended up having to go deal with him. And the overseer would say, you already know this guy, so you go deal with him. I don't want to deal with him. You're the overseer. I'm telling you to go deal with him. And every time, without fail, he had a wonderful situation, and he couldn't stand success. And so he would create trouble so that, I, I don't know, so that he could just feel good about himself, I guess. Do you ever know anybody like that? And that's what, that's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, I enjoyed my struggle. Don't take my struggle away from me. It what gives me strength, and, 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 and I like it. So don't, you know, don't come heal me. I'd, I'd rather be sick. Don't come give me resources. I'd rather be poor. You know, don't come make me happy. I, I'd rather be sad. And that's what he's saying here. No wonder Freed is depressed reading Ecclesiastes. That's what he's saying. Verse 12, then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man be like who comes after the king? He'll do what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Now, let's stop, let's stop right there. Here's what he's saying in a nutshell. He's saying, it doesn't matter what I do and how successful I am. At some point, I have to hand it over to somebody else. some point, I have to. I, I can't hold on to everything. It doesn't matter how successful I've been. It doesn't matter what I owned. Did you, did you ever sell something maybe that was precious to you? And, and, and when it drove out the, the driveway you stood there like a little baby crying because you'd taken such good care of it and 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 you 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 know it was precious to you and what he's saying is it doesn't matter how successful I've been it doesn't matter all that I've obtained there's going to come a time in my life when I recognize I've got to turn it over to somebody else and it's meaningless and that and that's what he's saying he's saying hey it's an advantage under the sun to have wisdom like it's an advantage to have light over darkness. It's, rather, it's better to have wisdom than folly, just like it's better to have light than, than to have darkness. I mean, you ever get up in the middle of the night and you, you're going to go get a drink of water or, or whatever, and you get up and the lights are out and you stub your toe and you pray in the Spirit and you, and you dance all the way back to the bed you will remember, the next time you do that, you will remember what pastor said. It is better under the sun to have light than it is to have darkness. 
Just like he's saying it's better to have wisdom than it is to to have folly. But even at that, in terms of eternal perspective, it means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's meaningless. He said, yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? What is that one fate that you think he's talking about there? He's talking about death. Scripture says it's appointed unto men once to die and then to judgment. Solomon knew that. There's never been anyone who has lived forever. Not in this body. And he said, I know that. He said, so whether I'm wise or whether I'm a fool, the bottom line is is that ultimately we're going to wind up in the same condition and that is deader than a doornail. And when we're both laying side by side, dead as can be, what, wis- what, what advantage was it to have wisdom? What advantage was it to have light under the sun? Under the sun. Now, I'm, I'm running out of time. I got two minutes. Verses 18 through, uh, nine, through 23, he's talking about work. He's talking about getting lost in our labor, getting lost in what we do. But I, w- I want to take you to verses 24 Uh, through the end of the chapter real quick. Scholars refer to these three verses as one of many carpe diem passages. You know what carpe diem means, right? It means seize the day. Whatever opportunity is before you, seize it. Go for the gusto, as they used to say. Uh, Get into it. And he says in verse 24, he says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. You see that? Because we can eat, and, and, and because who can eat, and who can enjoy life apart from him? I don't know how he knew, but he came to the discovery and the revelation in his mind that it is in him that we live and move and have our being. And so he's saying, whatever is before you, drink, eat, enjoy it. Verse 26, for the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. So he's saying there's two perspectives here now. For the first time, he introduces the reality that there is a God out there that is judging and rewarding what is going on on the face of the earth. He said, now, if it's only in the flesh, if it's only under the sun, then none of it has meaning. But if it is a gift from God's hand, then he says, man, go for the gusto and enjoy it with every ounce of energy that you have, because if it is a gift from God's hand, God intends for you to enjoy it, because God is not cursing you, He is blessing you. The things that God allows to come into your life are coming into your life for the purpose of blessing and growing and encouraging and giving you a a new level of living. So he says, do it, go for it. 
We'll see as we move through here. He says, the, the Lord's given you a spouse to enjoy. Enjoy your spouse. Stop looking at them and frowning at them and, and trying to run from them and get on the other side of the house from them. God gave you your spouse so that you can enjoy him or her. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I know exactly what that means. And I know what Scripture is talking about there. Enjoy your relationship with them on every level, physical, emotional, and spiritual. When a man and a woman come together in a, in a marriage relationship, it is a spiritual union. God takes the two. He makes them one. So stop running from each other. Slobber on one another every now and then. And go out on a date together. You know, enjoy. Solomon's saying here, go for the gusto. He's got 700 wives. Most of them were not gifts from God. They were foreign women that he was forbidden to marry in the first place, but he did it anyway. And he's the wisest man on the earth. But they weren't gifts from God. And he had 300 concubines. They were not gifts from God. God didn't give me 700 wives. And he didn't give me 300 concubines. He gave me one. And I enjoy her. She's not enjoying me as much as she could have. But I mean, you know, what Solomon is saying is, is whatever gift. God has put in your hands. Don't wait till eternity to enjoy it. Don't wait till you get to the other side. Enjoy it now. And don't think twice about it. Because it is a gift from God. All the rest of life is meaningless. But when God has taken a precious gift and put it in your hands, Solomon says... Go for it with gusto and enjoy every bit of it. So hopefully tonight, we ended on a positive note in Ecclesiastes. God wants you to enjoy those gifts that he has put in your life. Father, thank you that you love us and thank you that we're learning. There's so much activity under the sun. And these are things that we find ourselves having to participate in. We have to live here. You never took us out of the world. You left us here, but you've given us the resources that we need, and you have blessed us with gifts that are, that are, can't be compared to anything else. And so, Lord, help us to learn to enjoy them and to grow in grace in you. Keep us in your care now. We'll thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.